Good morning. We're reading from John 1, 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Verily, verily, I say to you, no man can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. She must have an attractive set of children there, that that one there. (laughs) Goodness. Good morning. Good to be together. That's my mom, in case you didn't understand that joke. Um, It was a compliment to myself, actually, is what I just did there, if you noticed that. Uh, well, as you heard from Christina, we're in this series on encounters with Jesus. This, this new year, we're looking at you know, times when Jesus meets uh, usually individuals and, and what we learn about him and what he's all about, what he does in people's lives. And so we started actually two, year, two weeks ago with the encounter Jesus had with Satan in the wilderness. And then last week, Pete Shambrook looked at this encounter that Jesus had with his disciples uh, the night before he died. And this morning, we look at... Um, one of the most famous encounters of all, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And um, I love this, this moment. Um, it's shocking in some ways. It's, as we'll see, it's, it's surprising, but I love it. Uh, one of the most famous because, of course, um, all of us are familiar with the phrase born again, right? Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard the, the phrase born again Christian. In case you're wondering where that comes from, uh, Jesus coined that phrase uh, in, this, in this passage. And then, of course, we have the most famous verse of all in the Bible, John 3.16. Uh, wasn't it painful to have my mom read right up to that point? And then I just didn't give you what you're looking for there. But um, so much uh, familiar and famous uh, stuff in this encounter. And what, I, what really struck me this week is I think this is one of those encounters where um, Nicodemus's world is turned upside down in this encounter with this young 30-year-old guy, Jesus, okay? And, you know, it starts, the first thing he says is, we know, Rabbi, we know. He comes with a sense of confidence and a sense of who he is and what he knows. And the final thing he says in this, in this encounter is, how can these things be? Like, he, he, is, he starts from a place of confidence. And by the end of this 
passage, he is reeling. His world is turned upside down. It's a very, I want to suggest, disorienting, a deconstructing kind of conversation. And uh, very different from some of the encounters we'll see. A lot of the encounters we'll see will be Jesus encountering people who are kind of broken. Their lives are already uh, fragmented, and he's going to bring, you know, wholeness, and he'll reorient them, put them in community, and give them a sense of grace and love. This is the exact opposite, okay? He takes a guy who's kind of got it all together, and he turns his world upside down. Um, In a couple weeks, we'll look at the story of uh, the woman at the well, which I love that story. And that story ends, she, her testimony is, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I think if Nicodemus could bear testimony to this story, he would say, come see a man who got me to question everything I thought I knew. Okay, very disruptive to his whole understanding of the world. And I want us to feel that today. That's really what, what hit me this week. Uh, so let's, let's talk about Nicodemus for a second. Who is this man? Um, you, you learn in verse 1 that he's a Pharisee, okay? This was a lay movement of the religious leaders. They were very respected, obviously very knowledgeable of the scriptures. They were the local teachers in Israel at the time. Uh, but he's also a member of the Jewish ruling council, it says in verse 1. That's the Sanhedrin, they called that. That was a, a group of 71 of the religious leaders of the entire nation of Israel. So they... They, um, they set the theological vision for the country. Uh, they would try cases that came their way. It was the highest religious, judicial, and political body in the land, okay? So when you think of someone who's a member of this group, you have to like think of, think of like a bishop uh, and a senator and a Supreme Court justice all in one, okay? And I want you just to think for a second, what would it, what would it take to become part of that group. Okay, just think like that. It's the, it's, the, it's the religious and judicial leadership in the land. What does it take to become a member of that group? And I'll throw out a couple things. Uh, one is it takes time, right? You don't become a member of this group at 25, okay? You have, you've shown faithfulness over decades. Uh, Nicodemus must be at least in his mid-50s, maybe 60s, 70s. Okay? He's, not, he's a seasoned guy. Uh, it would obviously take a lot of dedication, um, a lot of passionate pursuit of the Jewish religion. It would probably take some talent. He's probably very bright and talented. Uh, it might take having a few good connections too, right? So this is a guy who, um, he's a venerated man. He's a spiritual authority He's distinguished, mature man. One little detail, I guarantee you, he had Genesis through Deuteronomy memorized. Guarantee you, okay? If you, if you know some of the religious experts of the day, he had the, what we call the Pentateuch. He would have had that memorized. There's just one little detail into this man's life, okay? So this is the kind of guy he is. And uh, I take him to be a sincere guy and a, and a genuinely good guy. I think he ultimately comes to faith in John's gospel. There's some disagreement about that. Um, but um, but he, is, he is in the inner circle. Okay? This guy is venerated. This guy is, a, is legit spiritually. And you need to know that because it makes what happens, I think, all the more surprising. This encounter with a 30-year-old young rabbi, okay? He begins, it, it, the, the conversation begins in verse 2 with Nicodemus. Take a look. Uh, rabbi, 
We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Okay, what you need to know, context here, uh, in, Genesis, uh, or in, in John chapter 2, the chapter before this, uh, Jesus has created quite a stir in Jerusalem, okay? So in verse 13, he goes into the temple, and that's where he, he kicks out the money changers and, and all the sacrifices, and he basically judges the temple and says, this whole system, this whole religious system is corrupt, and I'm going to replace it with myself, Okay, very offensive, very controversial uh, act that he does. And so think, people are thinking about that. And then if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 23, it says that while he was in Jerusalem for the Passover, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So he's performing all these signs. So he's doing very controversial and offensive things, but he's also doing working miracles. And so all the religious leaders are trying to figure out, what do we do with this guy? This guy came out of nowhere. And so Nicodemus comes to him, and he says, you know, we know, so he sounds like he's representing a, some sort of delegation, some sort of group within the group, saying, you know, the, the, people don't know what to do with you, Jesus, but I'll just tell you, me and my people, we, we think you're, 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 you're a teacher sent from God. Like, we, we think there's something here. So um, let's talk. Let's help each other out here. I'm not, we're trying to figure out who you are, but I, I come in peace, and let's, let's talk this through together. Uh, Jesus' response just starts. It starts to get very disorienting very fast. Look at verse 3. Jesus replied, Very true, I tell you, no one can even see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay, it feels like a little bit of a non sequitur. Um, but I think what Jesus is saying, um, Nicodemus just said, Hey, I, we think that you're probably with God because of the signs you can do. And Jesus is like, well, I'll one-up you. Um, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless God is at work in you. In fact, something has to happen in a person that's so radical, I can only describe it as a new birth. Like, I'm not talking about working miracles. Like, I'm just saying, just being able to see the kingdom, even be a part of God's kingdom, something so radical has to happen in an individual um, that I can only say it as, as, it's like God has to rebirth you, <laughs> Nicodemus, he's saying, that if, if that hasn't happened to you, then you're not even a place to judge whether or not I'm a teacher of Israel, okay? If that hasn't taken place in you, you're not, you're not even at first base. And um, I think what's important to understand this conversation, there's a little play on words that is going on throughout this conversation. So Jesus says, um, you have to be born, your translation says, again, but most of your translations, there's a footnote by the word again, Okay? Let's do some quick um, work here. What is in the footnote? Look at your Bibles. Or from above, right? So it says born again, footnote, or from above. The, the Greek word that Jesus uses is the word anothen. You must be born anothen. That word can mean either again or it can mean from above, okay? Nicodemus interprets it as again. And so he thinks about in response to this, right, he's just thinking about what would it mean to be born again the same way you were born the first time, right? So he says, well, surely, right, you can't be born again when you're old. You can't enter a second time into your mother's womb and, and be born, right? That doesn't make any sense. He's thinking of born again the same way you're born the first time, by the flesh. But I think Jesus is actually focusing on this meaning of from above. Um, and you can look, and later on in John's 
gospel, he clearly uses the word in terms of above. And so what Jesus' point is really is to highlight the, the source of this new birth. You, no, no, it's not just being born again, but you have to be born from above. It's like there has to be a new source of birth, like heaven has to come down and take up a reality in a person's life in order for them to even be a part of the kingdom of God. You must be born from again, or again, but you must be born from above. Not another flesh birth, but a, a birth from heaven itself, okay? Take a look at verse five. This is where it's, we start to understand what Jesus is saying. He clarifies what he means by born anothen. Verse five. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Okay, so Nicodemus, what I mean by being born anothen, I mean being born of water and spirit. And that phrase, water and spirit, he's using a phrase that Nicodemus should understand because Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel. And that is a phrase that, is, that comes right out of the Hebrew scriptures when the prophets would talk about a time when God would work revival in the people, when God would do a miraculous work in the hearts of his people, that work is described as a work of water and spirit. Okay, let me show you just two places in the prophets where that phrase, that kind of like pairing of water and spirit takes place. Um, this is Isaiah uh, 44. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you, don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Here it is. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. He's talking about a time when Israel is like a, a dry land. They're parched and they need something fresh. And God says, I'm going to do something that you can't do for yourselves. I'm going to pour out water on the dry and parched land and refresh it. I'm going to pour out my spirit and I'm going to do a work of revival among you. Okay, that's Isaiah. At one other place where we see water and spirit, this is the most famous place. Uh, this is Ezekiel 36. Pete actually quoted from this passage last week. Again, something that God's going to do in the people. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Okay? This picture of Israel, dry and hard-hearted. And God says, you need me to do something you can't do for yourselves. You need me to purify you, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to purify you in your inner beings. And you've got these hearts that are hard. You need new hearts. You can't give yourselves new hearts. I'm going to give you a new heart. How on earth can I do that? By putting my very spirit deep within your heart, by making a new creation by my own spirit so that you have these new hearts that, that beat for me, that desire me, that trust me, that worship me. 
I will give you new spiritual life. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, that's what I'm talking about. When I say being born an oath and having the spirit of the living God breathe into your life and work a miracle that you can't do for yourself, giving you a new heart, giving you new desires, new faith, and new worship of God. That's what I'm saying has to happen. Okay, let's just pause there. Are you still with me? Okay. Who is he talking to when he says this? He is talking to Nicodemus. And what's so striking to me, he's not talking to a tax collector when he says this, right? He's not talking to a prostitute when he says this. He's talking to one of the goodest men in Israel, (laughs) right? Like one of the, um, here's a man who has devoted his life to, to the religion and faith of his people. And after 60, I will, I'll put him at 60, at 60 years of faithful devotion, Jesus looks at this man, a young 30-year-old, and says, yeah, uh, your life is a dead end, Nicodemus. Like, you, you need an overhaul. You need a fresh start. You gotta start all over. After everything that you have done to bring yourself to this point, yeah, you gotta start all over. Imagine hearing that from a guy who's probably 30 years <laughs> younger than you are. And I was just thinking, you know, for me, growing up in the church, when I heard the word born-again Christian, especially in youth group, usually was, someone would come and share, and it was the story of someone who was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, and you hear, but then, then I, you know, I, I saw my sin, and, and, and I was born again, and, you know, Jesus did this, and now I'm on the straight and narrow, that kind of idea. But Jesus is saying this to a religious expert. And I thought that's so important for some of us to hear. Um, Because some of us have been doing church our whole lives in this room, right? We've gone to church. um, We've been in small groups. uh, We've read our Bible. We have developed our theology. All those are good things. And Jesus could step into a life that looks exactly like that and say, yeah, you're not even close. Like, you're, you're, you're not on the same planet as God's kingdom. And, and all that stuff isn't even like a midway point to the kingdom I'm talking about. It's, it's a dead end in and of itself. In and of itself, done in, in human strength, it's not even getting you to where you need to go. What I'm talking about is something so completely separate. It's a different planet. It's a different between, difference between heaven and earth. Very disorienting, yes? Confusing. What are you, what are you talking about? This is Israel's religious expert. Jesus like, you're not even close. There's something entirely different from all of that that must happen to you if you want to experience the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, flesh. Uh, he may be meaning physical flesh. All that that can do is produce more physical children. I think he means more human nature. Human nature in itself, human nature by its own efforts, its own work, its own strivings, can only produce more of itself. Meaning, Nicodemus, all your human efforts, all your moral attempts, all your religious exercises and devotions, all it can do is just create more of that. (laughs) 
But what God's kingdom requires is spiritual life. And flesh can never produce spirit. Only the spirit can produce spiritual life. That life is a life of faith. It's a life of genuine love and devotion where we're not talking behavior modification over time. I'm talking about a new heart entirely with new inner desires. Say, I've been fundamentally changed. My desires have changed. What I want in life is different. This is not about behavior modification. Flesh cannot produce that. Only the spirit can produce that. And I was thinking, I heard this analogy a while ago, and I was actually preparing in my yard this week. And um, so let me give you an analogy of this. So in my yard, we've got a couple uh, fruit trees. We have an orange tree, and we have an apple tree. Uh, And it's like Jesus is saying, God's kingdom requires orange trees. You have to be an orange tree to enter the kingdom. And so you can imagine the apple tree. It's a cute little apple tree. It does, does its best. Hearing this and thinking, okay, so I'm going to do my very best to enter God's kingdom. So that season, my, my apple tree, it takes in all the water it can take in, all the nutrients from the soil. It takes all the sun it can get out of its leaves, and it produces the best apple, apples it's ever produced. And Jesus comes over and says, Sorry. My kingdom requires orange trees. And apple trees don't produce oranges. Only orange trees produce oranges. This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Only the spirit can produce spirit. So how are you feeling if you're Nicodemus right now? So Nicodemus is thinking, okay, great. Um, so I can't enter the kingdom and, uh, unless... The Spirit does something in me that I can't do in myself. Next obvious question. Okay, so how do I get the Spirit to do in me what I can't do for myself? And Jesus' answer is essentially, you can't. Look at verse 8. The wind, uh, or verse verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Okay, another play on words. The, the Greek word for, is the same word for spirit, wind, and breath. So the ch- word hasn't changed in the original translation. But Jesus is making an analogy with the wind and the Spirit. Think about the wind. You can't see it. You don't know where it's going. You definitely can't control it. But you can feel it. You, you, you know its presence, but it, it, it does what it wants. And Jesus says, that's how it is with the spirit of the living God. He has a sovereign freedom to to breathe in where and in whom he wants. You can't control him, uh, but you know when he's at work. You can see the effect of his work. Um, But he does it when and how and and where he wants. (laughs) So so think about this. Nicodemus is like, okay, so... You're telling me with 60 years of religious commitment, dedication, spiritual work, spiritual exercise my whole life, you're telling me all of that is a dead end and I need to start over. And you're telling me that, that what I need is the spirit of the living God to do in me what, I, what apparently none of that stuff was able to accomplish. And you're telling me, I can't control the spirit. And if he wants to do it, he can. If he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't have to. Is that what you're telling me? Jesus is like, yes, 
That's what I'm telling you. And now we're ready to feel the weight of Nicodemus' question in verse 9. How can this be? And for, for whatever reason, this week, reading this, I felt that I wanted to come alongside him and go, yes, how in the heck can these things, what the heck, Jesus? How can this possibly be the way it works in your kingdom? What's Jesus' response to that? You'll love this, verse 10. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Okay, I, that must have stung. <laughs> Right? This, I, you can, I don't know if you picture this like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm pretty sure the disciples are there. There's other people there. This is some small group public conversation. And you have a 30-year-old man saying to a 6-year-old, dude, you're Israel's teacher. You don't get these things. Right? It's a bit, it's shaming a little bit. It's, it's, um, it's very disruptive. Verse 11. I tell you, we speak... <laughs> We speak of what we know. Shoot. Um, remember at the beginning, <laughs> Nicodemus like, well, we know these things. And now Jesus is like, well, let me tell you what we know. And I don't know who the delegation that Jesus represents is. It could be him and his disciples. It could be him and his father. That's probably what it is. Um, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Shoot. He's saying, Nicodemus... This is faith 101, what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you're Israel's teacher. You should understand these things. If, 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 if you don't get the basics, I, I can't give you like an upper division course in spirituality right now. Like, this is, kind of the, this is kind of the basics of the kingdom of God, right? No one has ever, this is verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Um, now that feels like a non sequitur to me. Um, you remember this story, this wild story of Moses and the bronze serpent. And we've talked about this story a lot over the last couple of years. But it's this bizarre story in the book of Numbers where Israel's in the wilderness, and like they often did, they're complaining, they're grumbling, there's zero faith. And they're whining and say, we want to go back to Egypt. And so God actually sends venomous snakes into the camp. And people are being bitten uh, by these snakes. They're getting sick and they're dying. It's a desperate, desperate moment. And the people cry out. And so God tells Moses to do a very strange thing. He says, okay, well, here's what I want you to, I know snakes are killing the people. I want you to make a snake out of bronze. And I want you to lift it up on a pole and anyone who looks to that snake and trusts me will be healed. Okay? Snakes are killing the people, but you can look at this snake and in faith, trust that whatever I want to do in the snake works for you, and you will be healed. And they do, and they're healed. And so Jesus <laughs> throws that story in the middle of this conversation. And the parallel with him is, is quite clear as we think theologically that that Jesus is the snake. He's saying, I'm like the snake that was raised up on the pole. And this is what's going to happen to him, right? He's going to be raised up on a pole, on a cross. The very thing that is killing people, which is our sin, that we've been infected with sin, it's like, well, I'm going to become that for you. I will become sin on the pole, and I'll be raised up, and whoever looks to me in faith will be healed, will be forgiven, will have entrance 
into my kingdom. Okay, this is what's going to happen with me. But again, who's he talking to? He's talking to a religious expert. He's saying, you know, you, we started this conversation, Nicodemus. You, you, accept, you thought I was a teacher. You said, teacher. You're right, I am. But I'm a lot more than a teacher. I'm the snake who needs to be lifted up. That people might be saved through me. But if that's true, then Nicodemus, here's the reality. Your situation is a lot more serious than you thought. And all your religious devotion and respectability, actually your situation is desperate. None of that can forgive your sin. Little behavior modification. But you are like these Israelites who are dying. They're sick. And unless they turn to me and live, they will die in their sins. Nicodemus, your life is a dead end, literally a dead end, unless you turn to me in faith. Believe in me. Trust in me. Be born again. Be born from above. Be born of the spirit of the living God and live. 30-year-old guy. Can you imagine? I was just like the gall this, this week. Isn't that wild? So I don't know how this hits you today. It hits me this week in a couple different ways. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? I feel like, you, you, I mean, I know this is familiar territory for a lot of us, but it, it just really, the radical nature of it hit me this week. And I, I want to um, leave us with, with a couple thoughts and reflection Two things real clear to me. One is that there is a confrontation that we have to encounter in this passage from Jesus. But the other, there's an invitation uh, from Jesus. And so I want to just tease those out. And then we'll go to God in prayer. So the confrontation um, is so similar to what I think what Pete was talking about last week, if you're here. And I actually was going to teach this in two weeks, but I thought, oh, this theme feels so connected. I'm going I'm to put this one now because I want to keep going with this theme that, that Pete was running with. And this is the confrontation I think Jesus is, is offering to, to Nicodemus. It's this, your own goodness, Nicodemus, all that religious respectability actually doesn't get you into the kingdom. In fact, it can become an obstacle to receiving the kingdom. But the flesh, and, and Nicodemus' flesh, he, had, he was like A plus in terms of fleshly um, religion, right? But he's saying, um, that flesh can't get you into the kingdom. And, and we all have this, this flesh, and it's this part of it. So we want to do good. We want to be good. It's a lot of what Karina was talking about. But um, we do it in our own ways, through our own efforts, and for our own, our own sake. And so... A lot of us in this room are trying hard to be good. We're trying hard to perform for God, uh, to obey. We want to improve. We want to uh, self-actualize because um, we want to feel good about ourselves, right? <laughs> and, um, and the danger of that is as you go on in the Christian life, um, you can actually get pretty good at that. Like that does have a certain type of fruit. And, and my observation is you, you spend enough time to do that, and you, you actually can start to get rid of some of, like, the, the more obvious sins uh, of our youth. Like, you know, you used to swear like a sailor. You've got that one figured out now, right? Like, some of the sexual immorality that was part of your earlier life, you've got that under control. Um, 
addictions maybe you have under control, um, outbursts of anger, some of those obvious things. Uh, but the truth is our hearts can still be so full of the deeper sins of pride, um, lack of compassion, self-centeredness. Um, but we observe ourselves doing pretty well if, if you grade on a curve in this world. Like we're, we're, doing, we're doing a pretty good job. And the danger is we can lose sight of our utter dependence on the Spirit of God and on the grace of God in our lives. And we can forget that the whole, this whole thing is about grace. And it's about God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Here's, here's a haunting question, question from Galatians 3. He says this to a group of people that, well, I'll just read it. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And I think that's one of the great dangers for churched folks, which many of us are. At some point, we started with the Spirit, right? We had an encounter with Jesus. God did a fresh work on our lives, and it was powerful and it was beautiful. Some of you could, could testify to those moments. The danger is we started in this place of trust and surrender and devotion, but over time, we start moving back to the power of the flesh and trying to improve ourselves, gradually get more moral in our own power and our own efforts. And I relate to that very much, that question, that question hits me hard. And if that's you, and you're like, oh man, I do, I've, I've just... I've kind of just fallen back into human effort. Today is a day of, of confession. Today is a day of repentance. We say, Lord, I, gosh, that, that, that time of being open to your spirit feels so distant. I want that again. Lord, forgive me for the ways I have tried to do good in my own efforts. And Lord, I want to just, I need a fresh start with your spirit with a life of, of trust and remembering this is all about your grace. It's all about surrendering to you, walking with you every day. I need your spirit. Maybe this is a day of confession for you. And if you're here and you, you, you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, hopefully you hear what a Christian is, is not a person who thinks they're better than other people or who's trying so hard to be good little boys and girls for God. That doesn't, it doesn't get you there. Christianity is fundamentally about what God does for us by his grace, through his spirit, and changing us from the inside out. That is, that is the heart of what Jesus invites people into. So maybe today is just like, you hear this like, oh yeah, I miss, I miss. God, I miss you. I want that sweet, surrendered, intimate, trusting relationship with you. And, and today's a day to confess and repent of how you've taken the reins again of your own life. So that's the, the uh, confrontation. And the invitation then is, what would it look like for you in, in this season to, 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 to step into a life in the Spirit? And I just want to remind us, like, we are spirit people. If you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a spirit person. That's what Christians are. We are people of the spirit. And so each one of us has to figure out in our own ways, because it's kind of 
unique to each of us, but we, we all have to find out how to, how to join the invitation of Scripture to walk in the Spirit. And that's really the ethical life of the New Testament. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And, and you have to figure out, how do I do that? It feels kind of nebulous. <laughs> how do I do that? Uh, one way is, what, you know, I love what Karina's story. It's like, I live my whole life in the Christian faith, but I'm still learning to to walk with Jesus every day, to not do this in my own strength, but every day wake up and say, Jesus, I want to do this, I want to do this with you. I don't want to try to do this for you, right, all the time. I want to do this with you. Uh, Let me close, let me share how I've been trying to do this lately. Um, I think what we need to do, we need to honor the work that the Spirit has done in our lives and and, and go back to those times where the Spirit has done fresh things because he did that for a reason And so we want to remember those moments, and we want to step into those moments. So let me just share what I'm doing these days. Uh, You still got two minutes in you? Okay, some of you have fallen asleep, but some of you are still here. Um, uh, So I read a book about a month ago um, that's really hit me. There's a chapter that really hit me, and it it talks about um, when we are all young, life happened. Whatever our lives were, whatever experiences were, happened. And, and based off of our lives, or based off of just who we are, at some point, at a pretty early age, we made certain vows to ourselves. And to use the flesh and spirit language, I'll call them fleshly vows. We made, we made vows that, that told us, this is what's going to get me through life. Like, this is how I'm going to make it through life, just chart through early life. Um, the vow could be, I need to be the best athlete there is. I need to be the smartest person in the room. I need to um, always be in control. I need to, you name it. I need to be the prettiest person around. The, the, I, there's some vow I make, and this is the thing I'm going to cling to that's going to get me through middle school and high school in <laughs> those years. So I was thinking through, for me, what was that? And there are two, two vows that I could identify. Um, and here they are. One was, I need to be extraordinary. At some point, little Dave made a vow to himself. For whatever reasons, he did that. And it was, I need to be extraordinary. Um, That's how I'll walk through life. That's how I'll feel okay about myself. I need to be extraordinary. I need to be seen as extraordinary. And the other vow was this, I need to be agreeable. Um, And probably those were somehow connected. The way I'll be extraordinary is I'll be agreeable with everybody. I'll be the guy that everybody likes, that everyone is agreeable with. And that's how how I'll get through life. And these vows we make kind of work for a time until they don't work anymore. And um, and what I've been doing is, is going back to, gosh, what was this? What's the work that the Spirit has done in my life over the years and reflecting on specific moments where I feel like God's spirit has, has spoken very clearly and how that happens in each of us is different. Could be through scripture, could be through moments, could be through nature, conversations. But there are two that I identified, two words that have been the promises of the spirit in my life. Uh, one is this, the one promise is this, Dave, you are the beloved. And my name, David, means beloved. There's a long story behind that. But very clearly, the Spirit of God has spoken into my life. You are my beloved. I think Karina said some. I love you not because of 
what you do for me. I love you because I love you. It's been very clear uh, to me. And the, uh, another promise that he's given me is this. You are enough. That word enough. Who you are in your ordinary self is enough because my grace is enough, sufficient for you. And so what I've been doing, I did this exercise where you write a letter to your younger self. I was like sobbing. I'm in a coffee shop. I'm in public. I'm like writing this letter to little Dave. And, um, but what it's about, for me, it's been, and I'm doing this every day. I did this this morning. I'm renouncing the vows. I'm renouncing the fleshly vows and embracing this, the promise of the Spirit. And so for me, it goes like this. Um, I renounce the vow to be extraordinary. I do not have to be extraordinary. Why? Because you, Spirit, have told me I am enough. Exactly as I am. And today I renounce the vow to be agreeable. And I can renounce that vow because I'm embracing the promise that I am the beloved. And when you know you're the beloved, you don't have to be agreeable. You can be really disagreeable. because you're beloved. So that's my own attempt to honor the work that the Spirit has already done in my life. And you all have ways that God has worked so clearly, but over time we forget those. Like he, he, right, he weaves these themes of joy or surrender or trust or courage or, or dependence in your life, and then we go on and just kind of live our lives again. And so one of the things we need to do is go back to those, those moments of spiritual power because that's work that God wants to do, but you still have to step into that work each day. And that's what I'm trying to do, step into work that God has already done. Um, I've gone way over, I'm sure, but I'm disagreeable now, so look out. <laughs> um, Dallas Willard, I'll, I'll end with this quote. Dallas Willard has a quote. I love this quote. The Christian life is what you do when you realize you can do nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The Christian life is what you do when you realize you can do nothing. What do you do? Well, then you surrender to the one who can do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what you say in this passage is so radical. We're kind of familiar with it, but it's, it's crazy. It leaves us utterly defenseless and helpless in our own strength, without, without hope, apart from a radical intervention by your Spirit. And so we invite you, and we can't even control it. We, can, we could do the best we can, and still you can decide what to do with it. But we invite you to have your way in our lives in this season, wherever we find ourselves, whether we are, we are so deeply devoted to you right now or we're running the opposite way, Lord, we ask your spirit to blow, to breathe like the wind, to create newness in the inner person, new desires for you, new trust in you where we, where we weren't trusting before. Fill us with trust. Or where we weren't focused on you, focus our hearts on you that we might be part of this beautiful kingdom you are building in this world. So Spirit, come, move, blow, breathe.
breathe, burn, transform and renew. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we stand and we'll sing, we'll pray. We'd love to have people pray for you. Pray that the Spirit would do fresh work in your lives. Don't hesitate to receive their prayer. And let's sing to our Lord.